What's up, guys? Welcome to a Roaring Podcast from Roaring.io, where we talk to some of the best in tech and product management. My name is Jesper Kask, and I'm your host. On today's episode, we're excited to be joined by two highly sought-after sanction specialists. Louis Vargas, Principal Compliance Officer at Danske Bank, with a background at JP Morgan Chase and Deutsche Bank, to name a few and Tyler Nielsen, a former U.S. Treasury and State Department sanctions expert, currently the CEO of Sanctions Advisory. We discuss sanctions in detail, what's happening currently in Europe, how companies are affected by new Russian sanctions and challenges going forward. We also talk about AML and tech in general and the keys to preventing financial crime. And finally, a disclaimer. Though Louis currently works for Danske Bank, the information, views and opinions shared are of his own, I do not in any way represent Danske Bank and their policies and procedures. Enjoy the episode. Okay, welcome guys. Uh, it's great to have you on here, Tyler and, and Louis. Thanks for having us. Yeah, happy to be here. So for those, just to kick us off, for those who aren't as knowledgeable in this area as the two of you, uh, what are sanctions and how does it work in practice, Tyler? Sure, certainly, you know, we want to make sure we're all speaking the same language, even when we're not speaking the same languages. Um, <laughs> right. The best way to think about sanctions are a means of compelling of, you know, harming actors to change their behavior. So, right, that comes in many different forms. Um, you know, certainly historically, there's lots of different examples of sanctions, be they political, right, isolating, kicking people out of international groups or organizations, um, or, you know, really focused on kind of goods transactions and goods trades, right, those embargoes that we've seen in the past, right? The Cuban Missile Crisis was a sanctions embargo, uh, but certainly more recently, and where you know it comes a lot harder for you know all of us, and why we're in this space is when it comes to the financial sanctions, which are really a 21st century approach to say, right, finance is integral to everything. If we target the financing, then we'll target the exports, we'll target the political isolation. So, what does that actually mean, right? So sanctions are means of cutting off targeted actors from engaging in the financial space in specific countries or regional areas. So when the US enacts sanctions, it's cutting off people from accessing the United States. Similarly, when the EU enacts sanctions, it's cutting off people from operating in the European Union. And you know all these different, uh, you know, they have, there's lots of different terms that we have. There's designated, there's sanctions, there's blocking, there's asset freeze, right? There's a lot of different words around, but when you boil it down, it's about denying access to specific countries, their financial systems, and how they operate, right? And when it comes to Ukraine, we've seen the whole variety of different sanctions. You know, FIFA's now expelled Russia from tournaments, right? That's a political sanction. But when we're talking about the financial sanctions, we're talking about cutting off oligarchs and officials from being able to keep their money in Europe and in the US and in London. We're talking about companies that can't raise new funds through bond issuance or listing on exchanges in Western capitals. Uh, and you know, we're really talking about, again, those goods and export controls, those high-end products that the West makes a lot of, that Russia wants, and now that's been you know, the biggest and kind of most significant uh, action as of right now. So, right, sanctions, 
about compelling actors to change their behavior. The Ukraine sanctions are about trying to target you know, a whole spectrum of different uh, activities on Russia to try and get Putin to change his behavior. Mm. And into, uh, could this be inferred to sort of people, organizations? Uh, at what levels could it be inferred? Uh... So it's all levels. It's binding on all of us as individuals, mm. as companies, as the banks that facilitate our transactions. When the EU enacts uh, new sanctions, then that means that we as you know, operators here in the EU must comply with those sanctions. It's a legally binding requirement. You can go to jail if you do not follow the sanctions. Um, you know, now most individuals, right? We're not doing these transactions. We're not trying to on our own sell, you know, microchips to Russia. But there are obviously lots of companies that uh, come into play. So it's companies and banks that face the primary burden when it comes to complying and making sure that you're operating in the right way. But it does, at the end of the day, apply to all of us and we can suffer uh, negative consequences. Uh, yeah, up to including jail time. Yeah, I think it goes it goes um, a lot of different ways too, right? If you're looking at it from a financial institution perspective or any type of business, uh, it affects us, but it also affects the people on the ground in those areas as well. We don't want to forget that, right? The the Russians that are innocent to all this, they're being affected by the sanctions that are being put in place on their country. Um, obviously, the war itself has an effect on the Ukraine um, and also Russia's partners, uh, to the south, I believe, Belarus, right? Um, they are acting on the behalf of Russia. So now you're seeing more sanctions headed their way. Um, originally, it was just, um, you know, they were in the spotlight due to the issues they had with um, uh, the president, you know, uh, having the Ryanair flight grounded so he could take a journalist off the flight and imprisoned. But now you're seeing the the impact of Belarus um, hand in hand, you know, helping with this war. Um, now sanctions are headed that way. So I think we're going to see a lot more focus on not only Belarus, but Russia's partners um, in, in this whole kind of scheme. And, um, you know, just to, to piggyback on what Tyler was saying about sanctions, and it's a 21st century kind of phenomenon, um, even though historically you could see it, but the financial aspect is kind of the, the new thing. Um, you know, this is what's called hybrid war, right? Yeah, I'm sure you've heard the term thrown around a lot in different articles, all right? Because it's not only a physical, war is not just physical anymore. Um, so hybrid involves sanctions, right? Now we're targeting the financial sector. And then also there's uh, the cyber crimes. So, um, you know, Russia has been guilty of it. You know, there's other um, countries around the world that have been guilty of it. Um, and even you saw this weekend, there was uh, hacking groups out of the U.S. targeting Russia. So, um, yeah, this is new kind of uh, warfare, that, warfare that we have uh, uh, coming out um, that's um, making things very difficult. Um, and to going back specifically to sanctions uh, with the introduction of sectoral sanctions um, during the Crimea uh, conflict, but now more so um, being used as a more kind of, um, uh, I guess, targeted way to leverage these countries is making sanctions increasingly more difficult to, um, you know, uh, be able to ring fence and control and be on top of um, people, you know, across compliance and 
I would say even our partners in AML say, ah, sanctions is easy because it's list-based. No, that's just the beginning. It goes a lot deeper than that. And I think the, the world is starting to see that now. Mm. And in terms of that complexity and, and the challenge of, of uh, screenings, I suppose, uh, in these uh, uncertain times, if you will, uh, how should companies handle this? Yeah, Tyler, you want to take that one first? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, this is... <laughs> This is the reason my company exists, is to help companies exactly. navigate the complexity. Um, <laughs> you know, there's, uh, everyone's heard of screening and, you know, doing those uh, checks, right? And as Louis said, historically, you know, it's been known sanctions are easy because you just screen against the names and then you know what to do. Well, that's actually not the way we are. That's not where we are today. And that's definitely not where we're going. Screening is a necessary tool, but it's not a, a, on its own sufficient, right? Screening is helpful, but you have to know how to employ it and how to use it. And that really takes making those internal risk decisions for each company, right? And take the you know Ukraine example. Our respective leaderships all over the world have taken the decision that they want sanctions to have an impact, but not too great or too immediate of an impact, right? And not to do too much harm to the Russian economy directly or right the wider uh, global economy. So what they've come up with is these very technical uh, sanctions, which you know require a lot of nuanced understanding of both what's restricted and what you're actually trying to sell and provide. So you know, when it comes to how to properly employ screening or how to best apply screening to help aid that, it's knowing what the sanctions are, knowing you as your company, what are you selling? Is it prohibited? Is it not? Is it in that gray area? And then setting up a policy in a direction of this is what we will do, this is what we won't do, right? And then using this the screening to say, okay, I know where I'm operating. In all honesty, it's it's very much a detailed task for each company these days. It's not a one-size-fits-all model. There are lots of information sources that will tell you this might be risky, but what they won't be able to tell you is this is prohibited or this is not prohibited or this is in your board of directors risk appetite or not. Um, and so that's where it's certainly a challenge now. It will be a challenge going forward. Uh, you know, but this is uh, certainly a specialty of where <laughs> I exist. Um, you know, and it's it's a bit difficult for us, I think, to appreciate how much thinking and discussions going into this on an international political level. Uh, and certainly, when it comes to Ukraine sanctions and trying to navigate where should we go and how should we understand what's trying to be achieved here, so we can kind of anticipate and work through this process. The one thing I can say to take away is you know, there is ultimate transatlantic unity. So what the US does, what the UK does, what the EU does, they're all trying to achieve the same outcome and the same impact. So while there are differences in terms of the specifics of the language, as long as we keep in mind that that's the direction we're heading in and everyone's trying to do the same thing, it actually you know can make things a lot clearer and a lot um, simpler to adapt to because you know that you know, the same impact is the desired outcome. But, you know, you need good tools, you need good information, you need, uh, you know, that supply of information to make the decisions, but it's only, you know, you as a company that can make those 
decisions for yourself trying to navigate these waters. And there are, you know, some, a few local actors that can help with that. Me being one of them. <laughs> Great point, Tyler. Uh, I just want to add to that. You know, it's true. You know, we see, I think for the first true time um, that there's camaraderie between the, the major uh, enforcement bodies being US and OFAC with EU and the UK. Um, you've seen it here piecemeal, um, but I think this is a f the first time, at least that I could recall, and Tyler, you could check me on that. I think this is the real first time that there's been real collaboration. Um, so it's good to see that. And um, and just to go back now to, to kind of uh, elaborate on what Tyler was talking about, that screening in itself is not all you need, right? You still need experts in the field to help you navigate through it. Um, technology is as good as you, as good as the data you put into it. Um, technology is as good as you kind of um, tailor it and make it as fit for purpose for your business as possible. So, you know, going back to to highlight what Tyler said, you know, you have to know the risk tolerance of your institution. And with that, then you know how to tailor your technology solutions to help you, right? This is just to help um, uh, reduce some of the risk, reduce some of the uh, repeatable tasks like false positives and stuff like that. But this will never, um, I should never, never, should never say never, but uh, at least for the near, <laughs> the near future, we'll never, we we'll can't replace a human because we know the nuances to the regulations, to the laws. Um, we know the gray area, gray area, especially gray area that we, gray area that we operate in when it comes to um, our, you know, institutions' risk tolerance. Um, so I know a lot of people get worried to know that, oh, machine learning and AI is coming to compliance. Yeah, but that's just to, to help the humans concentrate on the risk uh, that's ahead of us. It's not to replace us. So, um, so yeah, uh, again, just, you know, with, with all the things that Tyler said, we also have to, you know, make sure that we're tweaking and tailoring our technology to appropriately help us. Uh, there's very little bit of technology you could take straight out of the box and it's going to work the way you want it. I mean, yeah, it, it'll screen the regulatory lists, but other than that, you have to tweak it, you have to refine it, um, make sure the algorithm, algorithms you're using are appropriate. Uh, there's a lot of things that go into it. So I just wanted to highlight that, that aspect as well. Going back to the current situation in, in, in Europe and, and the Ukraine, uh, I, I suppose it's really hard to predict, but what do you think is next in terms of sanctions and what more can, can the uh, US and the EU do? So there's always more. Um, you know, that's the first lesson of sanctions. And right as part of the transatlantic strategy in unity, what, what's been deployed is certainly what us in the US and what I have called you know, the escalation ladder approach, which is a stepped up response in response to what actually is happening on the ground in Ukraine. So there's right, there's lots of rhetoric that we've heard from our leaders of, you know, we're going to hit them hard, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Uh, but it's really been a phased approach. And that's really where it's going to continue. So where are we on that escalation ladder? I would say we're in the kind of upper middle realm. So there's still more to do. Primarily, that's you know, doing full uh, prohibitions, i.e. blocking or asset-free sanctions on the companies that are subject to just debt and equity at this point. They're blocking or asset-free against the largest commercial banks, 
of which there's been, you know, VTB has been blocked by, uh, you know, the U.S. Uh, but, you know, there's still more to go in terms of that transatlantic unity. Uh, and, you know, then there's the, you know, the holy grail, if you will, the energy sector. Um, we're already seeing companies proactively pull out of the energy sector, so maybe that won't be as necessary. Uh, and certainly this is where the thinking about the global implications of Russia as a major energy producer, what that will mean for us here in Europe, but also in Asia, in the US, everywhere. Um, but that's definitely on the table for uh, actions as it goes forward. You know, to correct Louis a little bit, at least in my view from the past, right? There was great uh, effort that was taken in 2014 to impose unified sanctions. But, you know, the environment of seizing Crimea is much different than the all-out invasion and attempt to you know, at least remove the government in Kyiv, if not you know, occupy all of Ukraine. And that's where the approach has been, you know, kind of disproportionate, but still on the escalation ladder. You know, I was in the U.S. government doing these sanctions, you know, doing Russia sanctions in 2014. Um, and, you know, what we're seeing now was always kind of on the table in response to the actions of the Russian government and of Putin. Um, so now we're seeing that really come to fruition, you know, and the, the irony of all of this is the more impactful measures that are taken from a compliance standpoint, the easier it becomes, because then it's a full prohibition on doing any business rather than a very selected and nuanced uh, approach. So, you know, it'll very much be in response to what happens on the ground in Ukraine and where, you know, the discussions go between Ukraine and Russia, where the actual events, you know, from a military standpoint go. Um, but there is more to be done. But the more that we see, kind of the simpler it should have, but it will have a greater and more immediate impact on business transactions between us in the West and Russia. Yeah, thanks for checking me on that, Tyler. I knew I knew I could count on you. Um, so yeah, just to to again elaborate more on on what Tyler has shared, um, as things escalate, um, definitely we could see you know how they're going to institute more kind of uh, full blocking or full freezing of assets. So in the financial in industry, that makes our life a lot easier, right? Because it's no more um, you know the the whole gray area deciding or figuring out kind of the the nuances behind it we just know it's not permissible and we could process uh, or move forward accordingly um on the flip side of that i think then that makes it a little bit tougher on society and what i mean by that is that you could already see now with the sanctions that are already in place the implications on the supply chain you could see how it's affecting um you know not right now the gas and energy out of russia but you could see how um the commodity goods like grain and other food products out of Ukraine and Russia are not going to where they normally go. So there might be a food crisis. Um, and, and, and if you keep thinking about now, um, even like the metal sector or natural materials, things that we extracted out of Russia that we needed for vehicles and other things, it's going to, we're going to start seeing the tightening of, you know, these sanctions around Russia, right? But also you're gonna see the impact it has on the world. So I think that those are also key things to, to keep in mind. Um, and as this, this uh, you know, as Tyler said, this collaboration continues, they're gonna try to, 
you know, mitigate those things as they can, right? The U.S. is probably going to step up their agriculture production and start getting that around the world. They've already said that they've um, started earmarking oil to send around the world to help Europe. Um, and I'm sure other, you know, other nations are, are already planning how they're going to, uh, you know, fill this gap that's now the things that are not coming out of Russia and Ukraine. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see how that continues as well. Yeah, there there seems to be a fine line between putting sanctions on on, on Russia and, and uh, the global effect that it has, uh, obviously. Um, and and moving on to sort of AML in general, because sanctions is a huge part of of AML compliance work uh, for a lot of people, I suppose. Uh, what's the biggest challenge today in AML? What, what, what do you think, Louis? <laughs> Uh, biggest challenges, I guess, generally in AML. Um, uh, I would say it's 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 been this way since I started in compliance, which is about eight or nine years ago. Data and technology; those are always the biggest challenges in my mind to make sure that that some that we can get it right, right? Because if we have bad data, or we're not receiving enough data. Um, that doesn't just slow our process down, but it also becomes a burden on our customer because now we're asking multiple questions when we already have the answer in another part of the bank um, when it should be kind of shared amongst each other. Um, and technology, you know, there's no silver bullet. So I'm not going to say that, you know, companies are not buying the right tech. I think that, you know, um, the issue with tech is that from what I've seen is that a lot of tech is built for today and not for next year or the year after. So it's always behind. You got to get patches all the time. You have to buy new modules. It's and and you know when you think about banks, right? They're looking to make money, not spend money, right? Compliance is always thought of as a uh, not revenue generating, but revenue taking. Um, and that's one of one of the parts of it, right? We need continually to update our tech. We need to. Um, you know, get better at data, whether that's getting a data lake or coming up with other ways that we could share information. Um, yeah, so I think those two kind of really stand out, um, especially, you know, the fact, and just to, you know, throw this out there, we have to change the paradigm of, you know, that compliance is not revenue generating, right? We're revenue saving. Mm. That's what we're here for. We're here to, to provide the guardrails in order for a business to flow appropriately. Um, we sound the alarm when we need to. Business could push forward, but then you see that uh, when that has happened, uh, there's been monetary issues, um, reputational impact. So, yeah, sorry to get a little on the tangent there, but I, I think those are very important to to kind of consider. Uh, Tyler, mm -hmm. what do you think? Yeah, so I, I mean, I definitely agree. That's a key challenge, which then feeds off to other challenges. I would say certainly what we've seen in recent time as as sanctions and AML have gotten more in the news and everyone now on the street is aware of it. And, you know, I'm sure, Louis, you're having the same problem as I am. You know, you want a break from the world and you go hang out with some friends and obviously they want your take on Russia sanctions. Um, you know, we can't escape it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, it's all of us together. Um, so, but, you know, certainly for me, what I'm seeing as the biggest challenge is, right, there's there's been a big push into more data, more tech, but exactly as Louis is saying it, it it's often, right, it's not built for your company. It's built with another purpose in mind, or it's, you know, supplying almost so much data 
that it leaves you saying, I don't really know what I'm looking at. You know, there's been a big push into recording all potential risk avenues. And many different tech companies will tell you that's, that's what we offer. We give you the information for you to make a decision. But, well, what decision should I make? Uh, <laughs> is this prohibited? Is this something real? Is it not? Uh, and as, you know, that's where we get back to it. The biggest challenge is companies being proactive, taking a stance of what's the business we want to be in. And exactly as Louis said, you know, the old adage was that, well, you check with compliance to make sure it's not prohibited. But in the, you know, in our current environment where the rules are changing all the time, the world is getting smaller, but also getting more volatile. Then, you know, that old way of doing business is very costly and very cumbersome. And now it's, you know, trying to get uh, companies and banks to be more proactive of what do we want to be in the business of? Where do we want to do business? Who do we want to do business with? And make those decisions earlier. Because then from the tech side and the data side, you can then manage it of, right? Do I want to try and do business with Iran, with Venezuela, with Russia, with China? What is my exposure in China? The sanctions picture is going to change. And as long as you always prepare that it's going to change, then that's a good starting point to say, okay, let's define where we want to do business and what we want to do. But it's a process, and this is still very new for many companies, uh, many, you know, not so much banks. Banks are a bit ahead of the curve because that's where the regulatory enforcement has been. But, um, you know, we can look at the Dan Bunkering case uh, here in Denmark recently, right? That's a great example of where we're headed in terms of enforcement against companies for not following the rules and you know many of the pitfalls you can get into if you don't follow the rules i mean that was a criminal conviction of you know senior member of their leadership team or the senior member of their leadership team so um so the challenge is for companies to feel that they can be proactive and shape the business that they want to be in to then use the tools that are available uh, to them rather than feeling that the tools are telling them what to do and then trying to navigate yet another cumbersome apparatus in addition to the laws that come down because, uh, you know, we're trying to very narrowly tailor the impact to not, you know, have unintended consequences. So yeah, that's a good, that's a good point, Tyler, regarding Dan Bunkering, right? I think what we fail to recognize in, in this region, right? The Nordics is that, they've been kind of shielded in a way from a lot of the things, the, a lot of the work that's been going on with other companies and financial financial institutions around the world, right? Let's say to the West, right? Um, you know, the Western part of Europe has seen this already and there's already been kind of this uh, approach to, to rectify issues that have come up, especially in the United States, you've seen that, um, you know, over the last 10 years or so, right? But the Nordics, I feel like, have been kind of shielded from that, even though they are part of the EU. Um, you know, they are part of this kind of almost other world, right, where everybody's trusting and and all our business is good, all our business is clean. But now you're starting to see the ramifications ramifications of that kind of mentality, and um, you know, and that's why they bring a bringing us a lot a lot of us in here is to to kind of uh, help change the bank in a way to, to bring it forward to where other uh, financial companies or even other regular, you know, companies that have these issues are pushing toward 
in in other parts of the world um because as you said you know there are other nuances that are easily uh, lost in the shuffle of all the things we need to do right um especially you know if you're the you know banking a customer who's doing business they shouldn't what the regulator is not going to give the bank a, a a free pass and say, well, ah, you weren't part of it. No, they're going to say, well, you should know what your customer is doing. You should have known based on the KYC or the KYCC what the expectations were. And when they deviated for that, you should have checked them on it. Or you should have seen these money flows or whatever going somewhere else. Or, you know, they have vessels going to a sanctioned area, all those other things. Right. So, again, we don't have a crystal ball, but regulators, um, they expect us to. I mean, that's why we have to be as proactive as we can. Mm. And as we're coming up on time, I just wanted to ask you both a, a sort of a final question to leave the listeners with. Um, and I'll let you go first, Tyler. Uh, what do you think is key when it comes to preventing financial crime on a on a sort of broader scale? When you say broader scale, you mean like society-wise or? Yeah, society-wise, yeah. Okay. So... Yeah, I mean, uh, what's key to preventing <laughs> financial crime, you know, as a society at a broader level, um, you know, certainly that trust element that we have here, you know, is um, very key to enabling business. And, you know, it makes a lot of things practically much easier than they are elsewhere in the world. Uh, but what we really need is that, you know, trust but verify uh, mindset of, you know, arms control negotiations, which is, by asking questions and following up um, to make sure that we're really banking who we want to bank, that companies are engaged in the business that they want to engage, then that takes us a really long way towards you know, following the laws that we have in place. You know, yes, right, we need checks, we need balances, we need um, you know, the ability for good tech and good data to actually supply that uh, business, but it's really coming with the approach that, yes, you know, we have a very trusting an open society that is very embracing, but we do need to verify that the actual underlying activity is there. Um, you know, we've seen that in a lot of different fraud cases, uh, certainly here in Denmark recently. Um, and it's, these all could have been stopped by, you know, just following up a bit more in terms of making sure that what was really going on was, you know, truthful, was purposeful, um, and that's really what will take us forward in terms of enhancing our compliance. Mm. I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, and, it, and, it, <laughs> and it goes to kind of what I was saying before, right? KYC, know your customer. And KYCC, know your customer's customer. Um, I know that a lot of relationship managers, they say they don't want to bother their customer. But again, we have to shift that mindset to say, well, we need this information in order to protect you, to protect society, in order to to not bother you in the future, right? We need to know what you're doing. And then on top of that, once they've answered these questions and it's shared, that it's easily accessible with other departments around the bank, especially in FinCrime, then it's a check and challenge, right? We have to make sure they're staying within those uh, parameters that we've agreed to do business with the, business with them on. If they if they're not, we have every right to ask. And if and if they continue to do so. Right, then we have to discuss maybe offboarding, maybe other things. So yeah, um, I totally agree with Tyler. I think it starts with there. That's the fundamentals with um, protecting against fin crime. Mm. Any closing thoughts or, or key takeaways for the listeners? 
certainly well i mean thanks for having us that's my uh, first thought and you know i would say you know key takeaway for listeners is always trust that it's going to change and it's going to be more complex in the future and you know like i like to say you're going to pay for compliance one way or another it prevention is always cheaper than you know dealing with the consequences after the fact mm. yeah that's awesome tyler um key takeaways i would say is always be proactive um and you know i know that there's a lot of issues in front of us right now but also try to look in the horizon and see what comes next um you know as tyler said everything changes so if you know the better you get at this you could kind of predict sometimes what's going to happen and you could already start tailoring your risk uh, approach based on that so yeah i agree with you tyler that was a good one and thank you for having us <laughs> awesome i was going to get to that uh thank you so much for for joining us i really appreciated your time and and uh, i hope to see you soon again likewise thanks so much that was fun hope to do it again you've been listening to an episode of a roaring podcast by roaring io feel free to share it with your friend colleague or peer if you liked it If you wish to stay connected to us, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time.